This is the Sonicast, where artists discuss their passion for creating music. We discuss everything about music creation, from the tech needed for success to music education. So if you love making beats, film scoring, or creating sample packs, this is the show for you, where you'll regularly hear from experts in their field discuss their experiences and learn what makes them highly sought-after professionals. Today's guest is Daniel Lara. Daniel is the co-founder of Sonic Productions and one of the lead music track creators for the team. He has an extensive music and teaching educational background, as well as a lifelong history playing in churches, leading bands, and much, much more. He has music tracks placed with television and radio advertisers. The interview takes place at his studio. Back again with uh, Daniel Lara. Again, thanks for uh, being here with uh, with me on this. Thanks for having uh, me. We've, we had a really good first session, getting a chance to know about uh, your background and upbringing. And so uh, I want to take some time for this session to get to know um, your influences uh, musically, and maybe even otherwise, but your musical influences, uh, your creative process, how you create tracks the type of equipment that you normally use, stuff like that. It's kind of the road I want to, I think we should go through. But as far as musical influences that you listen to now, who are the big ones that you find yourself gravitating to, influential-wise? For what purpose? Are you talking about like the production? Or are you talking more just um, as a musician? Or, you know, as... Um... Let's first start with, just for... Maybe recreation. Okay, recreation. You, you just enjoy listening to it at this point. So guilty pleasures. Guilty pleasures. <laughs> what are the things that <laughs> you don't want people to know on your iPod? Your oh, my iPod. What's on your iPod, Daniel? On your Spotify nowadays. What's on your Spotify? Come on. What's, on, what's on your iPod? What, what's <laughs> on my iPod? I actually, I'm looking at two old iPods that I have up there. I have that old U2 iPod. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah that's first, right. The, one of the first. The brick. It was the brick one, yeah. It was black that. and red. Yeah. And then I have one of the more modern ones that were like, I think it was ahead of 160 gigs right. of space for music. And I thought, Which is man, amazing. I would never feel that one. That's so much space. Yeah, You're so like, space. how can I have so much music? Yeah. What would you ever need it for? <laughs> then again, my first uh, iBook, I think it was called an iBook, right? The laptop, uh, Apple laptop was... No, um, MacBook. Was it MacBook? I think so. But that was, uh, it was... 10 gigs. Wow. 10 gigs. So Can you space. imagine that? There was so much space when I bought that. <laughs> I remember buying that for $2,000. Wow. No, that's <laughs> not I right. still have it. It turns on. It still works. Uh, it still works. Yeah. What year, what year was that one? Super slow. That was back in 2002 that I bought that. Oh, man. $2,000, man. $2,000. It was now, I a think lot I, more than... <laughs> I think I have that on my phone. <laughs> 10 gigs. Oh, my oh, goodness. More than yeah. that on my phone. There's little USB drives that have way more than that. That's true. You have like some small drives of terabyte stuff yeah, now. That's so true. Um, but yeah, so guilty pleasures, man. All right. So behind you, um, and for those of you who are listening, I have a vinyl collection. That's yeah, kind do. of what I've started going back to. Yeah, that's right. And man, I have a little bit of everything there. Um, and And here's the way that I view it. If, if it's important enough to me, then I will try to find it in vinyl. And that's, hmm. of course, 
to say, I mean, it's not none of the newer stuff, of course, because some of the newer stuff you can't find on vinyl. And But if you do find it on vinyl, it's way too expensive too, to own it on vinyl. So I'd rather just listen to it on Spotify or Apple Music, whatever it may be. But um, man, it's... Um, all right, so some of the stuff that you know people would expect is like jazz, Bill Evans, okay, uh, some Miles Davis um, stuff in there, a lot of jazz stuff, Coltrane. Um, yeah, you listen to standards. Um, I have a lot of '80s music in there. '70s, a big Beatles fan, so I have a lot of Beatles okay. stuff in there. Uh, guilty stuff that you probably wouldn't expect. Um, is man, I um, I I enjoy some of the the very poppy stuff of the '80s. So I, I even have a little um, um, of John Lennon's son. I can't remember his name now. Oh my goodness, it slipped in my mind. Um, who had a hit in the '80s um, to Culture Club, of course. Oh, yeah. uh, obviously, I mean, some of the stuff that where it's like, oh, do you really listen to that? <laughs> um, to, man, I would say even like the Jonas Brothers now. I, okay. I've been really digging their recent stuff. And okay. that's, I think, I don't know if I kind of feel a little guilty about that, but uh, <laughs> Ryan Tedder is behind a lot of that stuff. And I think uh, I didn't know that at first, um, but I discovered that in... It was kind of my own little reasoning of like, yeah, that's the reason why I like that music now so much. Yeah. Um, but right, yeah, if you know who Ryan Tedder is, he's a big producer. Uh, he's lead singer for One Republic mm-hmm. and has worked with so many artists. Great songwriter anyway, but and has a show now called Songland that I hugely recommend that everyone watch. If you're a musician, songwriter, producer, a singer. I mean, you you gotta you gotta watch that show. It's on NBC, cool which is on Hulu too. But that is a cool show. And and I say Hulu because of course nowadays like no one has like millennials that I talk to. No one has actual TV or antenna to capture like local TV stations. Everything's happening through Hulu now. I think everyone's not even not even just that, but people are binge watching. They're not necessarily going prime time and oh right. it's on i don't even what time does it normally come on during the it, week it you know? was on tuesday nights okay so so I, yeah i don't know like when things remember, are i don't even know when things are you on. you remember having to line up and and, right. and and catch the show on friday night because you knew like tgif it right. was gonna start right at seven o'clock and if you were in front of your tv station that's it you missed it remember must, no see, must see tv must see tv yep so even oh, now, I don't think there's d- people do DVRs anymore. I think no, everything is all, either Hulu or Netflix. The cloud, or, man. That it's cloud all, exactly. Has... You can watch it when you want. So Songland is something you need to check out and yeah. make sure you do. For sure. So when you listen to like new songs, uh, new stuff, let's say Jonas Brothers, for instance, do you go out and try to find it on vinyl also? Or no, do you no, just no, not download... that stuff. Yeah, not the modern stuff. Uh, if it's like in the 90s, uh, Whitney Houston, uh, Shaka Khan, I'm, I'm out there yeah. getting that stuff. Um um anything i want to say prior to the 2000s i'm trying to find on vinyl um and a lot of that was because if you think about it uh most of those recordings took place in an analog format so they okay. were being recorded on tape they were being recorded on real so that's a real yeah yeah and everything now is digital so you kind of figure that you know if anything Spotify might be the best way to listen to it, but 
uh, everyone's their own judge in that. And uh, but there is a certain thing about vinyl. Anyway, I don't want to jump into no, the vinyl. No, that, that's a whole other discussion too. No, that's actually a good. Tone, that's, but, a, that's right. It's a good discussion. But again. yeah, it was My being recorded on yeah on on real to real and 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 there's something about that sound too. Um, uh, you know, creating a, a big sound in that and why so many artists and bands will even out um, uh, export to that tape to kind of fatten up their sound a little bit and then re-import that back into digital to master it and, you know, go about it that way. So, yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking behind me and I see your, your vinyl collection. It's a pretty good one. What's your, what are your really proud ones you really like? Man, ooh, I want to say, um, I want to say the Beatles. Okay. Some of the Beatles stuff, uh, I I really dig having a copy of that um, Revolver album, and 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 this is all stuff that I try to find, not like reissues, not none of the uh, the new stuff that has been reprinted again in like the two thousands, but everything has been uh, like the first press. Yeah. U.S. press. Okay. I mean, for Beatles stuff, obviously they had first pressing U.K. version, first right. pressing U.S. version. So I try to find those versions. Okay. And uh, sometimes you get lucky and you get them for a few bucks, and sometimes you have to shell out a little bit more. <laughs> how, how often uh, are you? Are you? How often are you vinyl shopping? Uh, not that often anymore. <laughs> I try not to. But um, I would say at least once a month now. I'm out there trying to see what I could. What I could discover find I, it's, I think a lot of it's the the treasure hunting and aspect sure. of finding a, a diamond in the rough okay of all these other vinyls that you know are scratched up you know that are worth nothing pretty much and uh, just find discovering that one gem in the middle of that pack i'm finding that a lot of people are really making a habit of building their vinyl collection now it's it coming is. back. It is. It's, it's, and there's a lot of, to vinyl. Um, <laughs> aside from the sound, if you're going to play it back, I've, I discovered, I quickly discovered that it could become pretty expensive too <laughs> with uh, styluses and cartridges yeah, and turntables right. yes. and preamps of, or, or phono amps to go along with these turntables. And <laughs> oh man, the list goes on and on. Do you think that, um, Maybe a, an artist who's recording now would have any value in recording on vinyl. All right, so at all, I do have some modern ones, okay. and, and the modern ones that I have are like Coldplay. I love Coldplay. Okay, uh, and I do have a couple of those. I have a Dell, just because I feel that a Dell, man, like I feel, I feel it. She could have easily been born into the '80s, into that analog because of her style, where it's very acoustic driven. She doesn't have a lot of overproduced, processed sounds. Um, so uh, it's just, you know, some great pianos, drums. Uh, she's another, you know, artist that's highly piano driven. Um, and I just feel that vinyl suits her well, uh, mm. along with, okay, and here's a guilty pleasure is I do have uh, Stranger Things on vinyl, oh. the soundtrack. 
Yeah. And I thought that would be perfect to have yeah. on vinyl because oh, of the sound of the 80s. You found that sound on, on vinyl? I so mean, they, yeah, of course. They any, released any, it on vinyl? Any of the new soundtracks they have on vinyl too. So Stranger Things, what? the first season, I ended up picking that up on vinyl. It's a two vinyl little set. Well, that's a smart idea. That's a great marketing idea. Because, I mean, when you watch that show, yeah, that yeah. just takes me back anyway. You know, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm pausing part of the show going, I remember that. Oh, look at the background. And then yeah. if they came out everything on vinyl, that just sends it all over. Yeah. And all the sounds come from 80s synths. Right, right. So it it was made for vinyl. <laughs> so, like, why not have it why on vinyl? Why not have it on vinyl? There's soundtrack on vinyl. Wow. Yeah. So that's definitely uh, one of those good ones to have. Man. So how long have you been, um, let's say, maybe just collecting music? I mean, I, I've started collecting music myself when I was just a kid. And I would spend money on cassette tapes. I can't tell you how many cassette tapes I went through. I mean, I had just so many. <laughs> um, I mean, if you went to my car, and this is a funny thing. So in my car, I had a Volkswagen Beetle, 76 Super Beetle, by the time I moved to Arizona. And I'm in my 20s, late 20s. When I sold that Beetle in ten years, I had to go through and and get like a like several garbage bags because I had tons of these cassette tapes just everywhere, just collecting, collecting, collecting. Hmm. Uh, I collected so much music yep. on cassettes, so I'm I'm very happy about the digital revolution <laughs> yeah. for one because I've got just so much music that I just listen to all the time. Yeah, I think that the digital world is great. Uh, I do have quite a bit of CDs. Um, I do too. Not many tapes, um, because I want to say that I didn't have money till the CD <laughs> era came out. So I didn't, I didn't have money to buy tapes. I did have tapes, you know, but I want to say the few tapes that uh, cassettes that I did buy, I lost along the way because I was probably still pretty small. But once the CD revolution took place right then that's when i started buying and i had money and i waited for tuesdays because you know that was release day that was drop day at sam goody or at circuit city right. or right all these other places um and uh so man um yeah i've probably spent a pretty penny on music spent <laughs> so much money on those things and here's the crazy thing that i think about because when i've i've bought these vinyls and obviously, I haven't bought music for, I mean, aside from iTunes, right. uh, uh, hard copies, I don't buy very often, except for now vinyls. I, you think about the factor that uh, all this stuff will outlive you. So right. if you're going to collect, you have to keep in mind that you are collecting for someone else to take over along down the road. Sure. And sure. I want... So now, you know, having daughters, I think, okay, well, one of them will inherit, inherit these vinyls or CDs and what I have. Right. Um, and once again, that makes you remember that how um, mortal we are yeah. and how our existence is, you know. And if you think about fast. it, the digital world is going to be more... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? It's going to be more um, uh, immortal, I think, than the CD world would be. Because oh, the yeah. CD will eventually decay. Here's, here's Cassettes are the worst. Your digital imprint's going to be there for the rest of... My paranoid self, though, honestly speaking, is 
thinks that having a tangible copy of something is always better than having something elect like electronically in the clouds or digital in the clouds. I dig it. Like yeah. I feel like I want to have something tangible in my hands in yeah. case something were to happen with a cloud and everything goes down. You know, <laughs> kind of like how the world goes crazy when uh, Instagram or Facebook uh-huh. goes down for uh-huh. a few hours and uh-huh. it's like, I don't know what to do myself. What am I supposed to do? Um, I feel like the paranoid self uh, thinks like I'd rather have a tangible copy because I could, man, I could grab my little uh, Discman player, CD player, you know, and throw on a CD and put on some, you know, headphones and listen to it without anyone else having an impact into that. So anyway, that's just my paranoid self. Do you have like a, do you have like a background of like all of your work or something like on a hard drive somewhere? Yeah, I have definitely have. Uh, backups on hard drives. I back up every uh, computer. I have to because once again, I always think like, what if? Like, what, what if, if right. it goes down and this computer just, you know, dies on me and I can't even retrieve the hard drive on this computer. I need to have it on an external, you know, backup drive. I think it's smart. So, so I want to talk now about your um, your influence. All right, so um, let's talk about the musical influences that you use now for your track work on recording. Um, do you have a particular composer that you like to uh, that you like to fall back on? Uh, are there particular sound styles that you like to listen to as you're composing? What are your influences when you're creating a track? Creating a track, I think. Man, just a ton of things kind of play a part into it. Um, Influences and things I look for inspiration to would be uh, just other works within that field. So if I'm trying to do a TV track or maybe an advertisement or um, some kind of music bed, depending on what I'm trying to achieve, I will go out and listen to uh something that's already been done some um you know great work that's uh maybe with a company that's similar to that company i'm working with um in in the case of orchestral i mean obviously you have some of the the giants of uh hans zimmer and john williams and danny elfman and um all those that you kind of look toward um and look to for inspiration as far as how they write stuff and how they approach it. Um, so, um, and I mean, it, it, it varies. So, I mean, even pop artists nowadays, I mean, that's what you tend to hear a lot of. And when you hear a music bed as well, you hear these sound alike. So you want to listen to right. a lot of these artists that are out there right now uh, and copy some of the, the sounds synths, drums, stuff that you hear in their recordings. Danny Elfman came from uh, Oingo Boingo, right? Yeah. So that I think of him a lot because he was a pop player, yeah. a pop musician. Now he's one of the top composers for a lot of music, uh, yeah. a lot of a lot of movies and stuff. That's pretty cool. Um, so orchestrally, I, I heard you mention John Williams as well. Um, and and th- those are folks I love to listen to because I think that they know how to tell stories really well mm-hmm. through their music. 
Um, so you'll you'll just really it sounds like that when you have a particular thing you're going for, you listen to other artists in that same genre, basically. Right, right. Okay. You're looking to see and hear other great works that have been done prior. And uh, I mean, that's that's really what we are, right? And I remember in um, music history class, we had to memorize uh, composers. And one of the attributes to these composers, we had to memorize uh, their influences, uh, where they got their style. Oh, okay. And oh, um, hmm. we had to put these down, these note cards, I remember, and, and say, you know, like, uh, they were influenced by so-and-so that came before them. And that's really who we are now, right? We're True. a bunch of musicians that have been influenced by other people. And we create our own sound through that, um, through listening to other people, uh, getting to spend time with other people. And um, you kind of put them into a blender and you create your own drink, including your own sauce in there, you know, mm -hmm. as well. Um, so, I mean, that's that's the approach. I think that's how you gain a lot of the inspiration and creativity, you know, when you're trying to copy something and. Why not copy some of the greats and some of their great works? Right. Uh, All right. This is a good spot. We'll stop to take a quick advertisement break. Hi there. I'm Dan Young, co-founder of Sonic Productions, your music production company. We partner with businesses to help you deliver your best message professionally, elegantly, and with the power to capture your audience. Our goal is to serve you as you seek to grow your brand, whether you use Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or other mediums like podcasting or television. We'll work with you to custom tailor a song to fit your campaign, or you can visit our music licensing business, Sonica, to choose from over a hundred original songs ready for licensing. Voiceover narration is also available. So when it's time to seriously consider growing your business, consider Sonic Productions to stand out. Sonic Productions, our music, your story. Visit us at www.sonicproductions.biz to contact our team and to learn more. One of the things I, I like about you as a composer and our other artists we have in our team is that you guys are not just beat makers. Because a lot of times I'll hear, in a lot of the pop music, it's just you hear beats, right? And mm. so people are just stuck on making a beat. Mm. rather than making something that's musical, something mm. that's really, that can tell and carry a story. And I think you you really embody that it's not just a rhythm you're looking for, but you're looking to tell a story with this. Thanks. Um, and so I hear that a lot in, in the compositions you make. Yeah, and not that beats aren't important. I think true. it has to move you. It has to definitely get this your, is true. Uh, your body moving, uh, capture you and, and engage the listener through man, through a beat, through melodic line, through whatever it may be, uh, it has to move you um, in some sort of way. So, um, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, but yes, I mean, the goal is to not only create a beat, but also a um, an experience, I mean, for you to right. engage and to lock in, not only through the beat, but also through... Uh, the feel and through the melodic line and um, um, so many other elements of the song, you know, that will really capture what you're trying to go for. What would you recommend for someone who's very new to music creation uh, if they want to have a creative process? 
Is, is there like a, a daily habit that you go through or a particular process you start when you're in your creative process? I think looking back, the best, one of the best answers for that is to create and uh, produce songs, as many songs as possible, because every time that you do something, you learn something. Um, so the more you do it, Good. the more you will gain knowledge. Because I, I feel that every project, every song that I create, um, there's something different uh, than the previous one. And sometimes uh, there's something new that leads me to research something, you know, a certain sound, um, a certain beat, a certain, um, um, I guess, era or, or sound alike. Um, something that I'm trying to replicate and whether it be through synth uh, work or just knowing an orchestra, knowing the line or um, the limits where a flute player can play, you know, right. or where a violin cuts off so that you're not That's creating good. something that, but yeah. So every time that <laughs> you do impossible. it, right, exactly. I mean, you can't have a violin uh, playing in the lower register like that's like that's not right naturally what a violin does right. so um anyway so every song that you cut or that you make will teach you something and the more you do it the better you'll get at it i mean it's just like anything else you know you want to become a good you know basketball player uh especially a free throw shooter you have to shoot free throws right so right. the more you do it the better you'll become especially if along the way you're learning uh, the adjustments and, sure. and, and, and also working and seeing like, okay, I'm still not doing this right. I need to um, maybe move my wrists a little bit better. And uh, the same thing applies for music. I think every time I do one, I realize, okay, I should be doing this better. I can do this better. I can maybe EQ this better. I could, you know, uh, and, and all that helps you along the way. So the more you do it, I think that's the best advice is just do it. Like, you know, get out there and, and, and produce sure. some songs, create some stuff and get um, experience from that. The sound designer, Nick Spann on our team, yes. uh, we uh, had an interview a few weeks ago and I had asked him a question because he grew up, his first instrument was drums. And from drums, he really gained an understanding of beats and understanding rhythm. Then he started adding uh, chords and chord structure to his to his work. Uh, and it's a really good blend of how things met through. You, it, your primary instrument was, you said guitar. I think I remember when we spoke. Yeah, that was the first the one. The first I one. Yep. But then it went to um, to piano. Yeah. If you, if you had someone who was maybe trying to get started in this, is there a particular way you would recommend they introduce themselves, like maybe taking piano lessons? Or do they start working with DAWs first? and other types of things to get oriented. Is yeah. there a way you would recommend? I think the music world and the game, the production game has changed so much with this is software mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you really don't have to know how to play an instrument because of MIDI now. Right. So you could draw squares, rectangles, whatever you want to call them, these MIDI uh, notes in without ever playing a keyboard um, right. and create some good music. And um, once again, you don't have to know an instrument. Does uh, knowing an instrument help you? Yes, it does. Uh, it helps you 
uh, a ton, especially when you have to um, cater to sound alikes and when you're trying to create something and um, play chord structures and inversions and, and all that sorts of stuff, it does help a ton. Um, keyboard is obviously, a, or piano is a, mm -hmm. such a staple uh, instrument. I mean, for every musician, that's why you have the likes of like John Mayer, who could play piano. Um, Miles Davis played piano. Right. Um, it's just a ton of people that will eventually come back to the piano because it's visual. I mean, visually, it's very clear. Uh, you could see stuff very clear uh, on it. You see these 12 notes repeat every, you know, right. uh, just an octave up every time. So it does help. I mean, piano would be a great place to start from. But once again, you, do you need to know piano? No. Uh, there's people doing it, you know, just drawing in MIDI notes and creating hits <laughs> hit after hit. So that's you don't, true. You yeah, I guess to. so. Uh, that's but true. it does help. I mean, in a big way, if you if you can play an instrument. Doesn't that really I mean, kind of going back to the education discussion, doesn't that make you wonder what's happening or what could happen with the education of music moving forward. Oh yeah. I mean, cause as a, as a young person, if you know that, Hey man, I can just go onto this and draw some squares out, repeat that beat, you know, push a button, repeat the beat again, mm. maybe add some baseline. There's not really the need to educate myself musically as there had been in the past. Right. And I mean, let's be honest. I mean, no one, if you're talented, you're talented, and no one's gonna ask you. This is true for a degree. Where, where did in you music. go to school? Yeah, no one's gonna <laughs> say, "Hey, uh, I'd love you to be part of our band uh, and tour the world," but I'd uh, see that degree first. <laughs> right, exactly. It's true. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, music is one of those things where if you get a degree, it's because you're gonna get into the educational field, and you know the school system is gonna require for you to have a degree because you they want you to be certified in certain areas, but um, man, you, you just have to have the talent, know the, uh, the, the, the knowledge to be able to play. I mean, man, if you could play, you could play, you know, right. there's no getting That's around true. that, whether it be a guitar, drums, right. bass, you know, keys, whatever it may be. Right. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the digital world, uh, has definitely changed the game in, in music education because once again, you know, and, and, and that's a dangerous thing too, because we live in a world where instant gratification is huge. And that's why people give up on lessons because that's interesting, especially in the classical route uh, for classical guitar, classical piano. Um, you have to wait quite a bit of time before you see the results that you get. That's true. Uh, the big results. Right. Um, and nowadays it's like instant gratification. So I want to take one lesson and be able to play a song already. Right. And if I don't have the knowledge to play a song, then you're not doing it right. And I need to move right. to someone else. Wow. Or I just give up on it because it's going to take too long. Right. Um, and, um, but as we know, anything that really matters and that is worthwhile will take time. Very it's true. just the way it is. You can't start a diet one day and the next and expect, you know, to lose 30 pounds by the next day. Uh, or the same thing, you know, lifting weights. You can't be, you know, have shredded abs, you know, in a week after, you know, 
having ate McDonald's for the past right. 10 years. Right, That's right. not going to work out that way. Right. So, yeah, it's it's a tough thing because, yeah. you know, it's it's been helpful. And just like anything in technology, any advancement, it helps and it hurts at the same time if you're not careful with it. Very good. Yeah, I, I, someone used to tell me you can't get 21 years of experience without being in it for 21 years. Yeah. There's just no way you can get around that. Yeah. And that's what people are paying for. I mean, so and once again, I've, you, you see it over and over in, in all these statements and quotes. When you do work for people, they want the cheapest uh, thing because, first of all, no one wants to pay a lot of money for production work. Um, and if so, they're saying, well, how much are you charging an hour? Right. And that's manic. That's a lot for an hour. But you're <laughs> right. not paying me for the hour of my time. You're paying me for the years of experiences and education right. and the time right. that I've spent outside learning the years, all those years right. to get to the point where I could do it now within an hour. There's a quote that I, I, I saw several months ago and I love it. I have it pasted on my workstation. I am paid for my value, not for my time. Right. And right. that's, I think that's where you're going with that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. So uh, take me through the type of gear that you're using now um, for your recording sessions. Of course, you got your keyboard, a workstation, uh, the DAO, um, the DAW, I'm sorry, uh, digital audio workstation. What are the kinds of, um, of gear, if you kind of go around the room, that you're normally using? Okay. So I, for, first of all, a lot of this stuff now is happening in box kind of a thing, uh, all in, in the computer, pretty much through plugins, uh, the digital mm -hmm. uh, audio workstation, the DAW, and um, pretty much all the, samples and sound packs and libraries that are contained within that DAW. Uh, I do have some outboard gear as well, but um, so just quick list. So I use an iMac um, for my computer. I have a complete control um, keyboard that helps navigate through a lot of stuff, um, especially native instrument uh, stuff and, and any of the companies that go through them as well. Uh, have some Yamaha HSM10s, and then I use an Apogee element uh, for my um, interface. Okay. And then I do have uh, a Neumann TLM103 microphone. Okay. Uh, for recording vocals, stuff like that. And then I have an. Um, uh, Universal Audio 710 for preamp and, and, and other outboard gears that go along with it as well. But uh, being a keyboard player, I primarily collect keyboards. <laughs> I do have some guitars, a Taylor guitar, acoustic guitar, and electric guitar. Um, but I, I have a Hammond in my... Uh, it's actually an A-series Hammond in my studio have a, a Moog, little nice. fatty yep, I see uh, in my studio. I have a Juno um, 106 in my studio. And then some more of the 90s kind of stuff uh, as far as Yamaha NS or the S90 and um, the Motif ES6 um, and some other keyboards that I kind of uh, have uh, in the form of modules uh, that are some older 
older school okay. 80s and 90s stuff but that's primarily like i guess hardware stuff that i have so hardware wise as i look around your your your, your studio i'm i see one two three four five maybe six or seven different keyboards do you do you as you're creating, do you end up like switching from one keyboard to another just to make something feel right, or, or the or the modules good enough to where you can use one or two keyboards as a workstation and, and make it work? Um, to be honest with you, a lot of these keyboards are sometimes called upon for production work, uh, not an everyday thing. Right. Uh, it's more of looking for a certain sound. Um, Everything, like I said, is most most of these days is coming for uh, from the inbox for me, um, unless I'm learning, seeking, or looking for a certain you know certain sound, uh, right. an organ or or a certain Moog sound or Juno sound, whatever it may be. Um, so, yeah, it's but MIDI wise, it makes it very easy to connect. I mean, I could connect my 1980s Juno 106 through MIDI, right. Uh, to my DAW and be able to record straight into it and uh, change any MIDI notes that I mess up on and line those up, uh, wow. which makes it pretty nice. Um, so yeah, definitely his digital electronic uh, side has changed the game with all the advancements. Especially when when we're talking about younger players that are just getting started, the digital revolutions really help them to be able to just create without a ton of hardware. Yes. Yeah, I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't make it uh, in the old days where it was. You know, you gotta, you had to know your stuff. It was, you know, one take. Uh, you're wasting our time and money if you didn't come <laughs> in to the studio prepared. Right. Uh, and that's why so many people can do it now uh, because of that element where it's like, hey, if you mess up, it's okay. You could fix it. You know, through MIDI notes, or you could, you know, fix it down the line. Um, and you could have up to 50 takes if you want and not cost you a thing except time. Um, as opposed to the old days where it's like, hey, you come in, you're wasting engineers time, producers time. You got to nail it. I was, like, I was telling somebody a story years ago when actually it was on one of my albums I did. I had to fly somebody in uh, to do a guitar piece and it was expensive to fly somebody in, obviously. But oh, then yeah. you're, you're having to tell your engineer to, to sound them and mic them a certain way. And then they go through three or four takes and you're wasting tape at this point. Oh, we were yeah. doing ADATs. And it is, <laughs> it's it's all, you know, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, time is money, time is money. Oh, you got to get it right, got to get it right. And nowadays you can just send somebody your digital audio workstation files, all of your files. They can be in the comfort of their own home put something down and then just email it back to you and you're yeah. done, you know? Yep. And then you can even pay them right there with your <laughs> yeah, cash app with done. cash app or Apple Ooh. pay and done all happening through the web. Right. And it can be done in minutes yeah. and, and save a whole lot of over overhead and, and hardware. Yeah. That is, that is pretty amazing. The way so, that we live now. But I mean, yeah. Uh, hardware wise, I mean, it's, uh, you pull it in when you need it, you know, calling the big guns. And uh, because of course there is something about, outboard gear mm -hmm. uh, that there's some great softwares out there right now, especially in the synth world. Um, but capturing uh, hardware, hardware sound like a Juno 106 is uh, there's still a slight difference there. And 
still to the advantage of the hardware at this point. So it's hard to model some yeah, sounds there is, yep. to the to the hardware that's out there's there. There's been yeah, there's been some great modeling happening recently, uh, sampling. Um, I I want to say that in every field, piano, strings, um, drums, man, there's been vast improvements. Right. Except for like electric guitar. Electric guitar is always like the sucky. It sounds tinny. Whenever I hear like a modeled electric guitar, it sounds tinny to me. It's hard to capture the actual strike of, you Good know, point. Yep. the scratching that happens sometimes. The All that inflection work happening within the strings. Um, yeah, it's just tough to capture. So I, one of the instruments I play is an electronic wind instrument, an uh, EWI. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I play a Yamaha uh, WX5 is the one I have. I've had it for like 20 years. And one of the fun things to do is sometimes I'll call up a cello part and I'll model that. And I have to remember, I can't play it like I would a saxophone. (laughs) I have to think of how there would be swoop ups and swoop downs. And, you know, anyone, people who might be familiar with the instrument, you you have like a a roller where you can bend a pitch and you can use your your breath to swoop in and swoop down. It's a whole different discipline that you have to work in. Yeah. And by the way, if you haven't heard Dan play uh, sax, he's a killer sax player. So oh, that's you, one of the thank things you. you have to thank you, sir. Uh, do is listen to him play. Um, better than some, not as good as others. But <laughs> thank you, I appreciate that. Um, this was good. Thank you very much for this. Um, it's a good segment. Yeah. We're able to really talk a whole lot about uh, your your techniques and music and what you use. So thanks, man. Yeah. Good work. You've been listening to The Sonicast, where artists discuss their passion for creating music. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can find show notes in the descriptions, as well as information to hear more from our guest. You can also visit us at www.sonicproductions.biz to license music and shop for some cool merchandise. Sonic Productions, our music, your story. 